We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Today's lesson is the road to discovery. Like my new Toyota RAV4 Platinum. With the Entune Premium JBL Audio with integrated navigation and app suite, I'm always finding someplace new. Trust your heart and your feet will open a new way. Like my RAV4. It has a hands-free foot-activated power lift gate. Class dismissed. Anybody want to ride in my RAV4? Me! I mean, I humbly accept your offer. Well, come on. When you're driven by discovery, you find adventure. The 2017 RAV4 Platinum. Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast, sponsored by Draft, the only app offering daily fantasy snake drafts. It is Tuesday, January 17th. Nick Whalen here with DJ Trainer. In just a second, we're going to be joined by Ira Winderman, a veteran Heat reporter for the South Florida Sun Sentinel. He's covered the Heat since they entered the NBA all the way back in 1988. Ira was generous enough to give us about an hour of his time to discuss the past, the present, and the future of the Miami Heat organization. We touched on his early years on the beat, what it was like covering Shaq, of course, the Big Three era, where this current team is heading, and much, much more. You can read Ira's work on sunsentinel.com, and you can follow him on Twitter, at Ira Heatbeat. I think that just about covers it. Let's get to Ira.
are pleased to welcome on veteran Miami Heat reporter for the South Florida Sun Sentinel, Ira Winderman. Ira, really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. It is great to be here, guys, um, and at least it's a bright spot and a not-so-bright season. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's been a bit of a rough one, the post-Dwayne Wade era uh, for the Miami Heat, but we want to start, uh, as we always do with our guests, with some background questions. Um, sure. So I, I know you've covered the Heat since the Heat have been a thing. Uh, since they came into the league in the late 80s, you have been uh, the reporter on the beat. So this is your 29th year, I believe, as a Heat reporter? 29th season, 29th seasons of Heat, 29th seasons of Ira Winderman covering the Heat, absolutely. <laughs> wow. Have they all been for the Sun Sentinel? They, they all have, yes. Uh, from day one, I was covering University of Florida basketball and football. They said, do you want to move down from Gainesville to the new basketball team? And uh, I guess I didn't know what I was getting myself into. So, uh, well, first I want to ask, are you from South Florida originally? No, I'm for, actually from uh, New York City, grew up. I uh-huh. uh, actually went to Cardoza High School, same school as Royal Ivy and uh, Dwayne Coswell. Uh, <laughs> then I went to school in Binghamton, New York, uh, which for one year had a good basketball team until everyone was ruled ineligible. <laughs> and uh, been down here in South Florida for almost 35 years. I cannot believe we had a Royal Ivy mention, what, less than two minutes into the podcast? <laughs> so, who's more, records, yeah. so who's more famous at the high school, you or, or Ivy? I'd say probably Dwayne Coswell, because that was probably the best basketball years of the school. Actually, Ron DeClario, who's a very well-known national coach, high school coach, is still at the school. When I was there, we were transitioning from baseball to basketball school, and they really just have a special program over the years. Usually they get close to the finals, playing in Madison Square Garden or in St. John's in New York. So uh, I I think their basketball history is a lot better than mine. So like we said, you've covered the Heat uh, since the Heat entered the NBA in 1988. I mean, what was it like uh, back then, you know, when, when a new team, you know, it wasn't like they had moved, you know, this was an expansion team. Uh, the league hadn't been in Miami, well, the NBA hadn't been in Miami before. Um, obviously, there had been professional basketball in the past in that city, but uh, what was the reception like, you know, when the Heat made their debut in that 88 season? You know, I, I think the Heat had arrived at the right time for this reason. When the Heat arrived, there was only the Miami Dolphins. There wasn't even the University of Miami men's basketball program. They had shut that down shortly after the Rick Barry era. So it, it was the right time for a second team in the market. I'm not so sure if they came into the league at 15-67 and 67 like they did in 88-89 they would have been as, as receptive as they are you know, right now as they were then. Then the hockey team came, then the basketball team came, and it became a four-team market. So I think it was really a case of whatever team was going to jump in next to the market was going to receive a warm reception, because basically at that time down here, there was University of Miami football, there was Miami Dolphins football, and that was it. So I think the area was hungry enough for another sport that they were going to accept whatever came their way. So since day one till right now, for you, day-to-day coverage of the team, what do you think has changed the most? Oh, I I think it's the same for everyone who covers the team. I mean, just social media and the internet and immediacy and rumors and gossip becoming news. It's, It's changed from where you were just covering the bouncing ball and the scores themselves to seemingly covering everything but the bouncing ball and the scores themselves, which I think is sort of universal. I try not to get away from that. I always tell a story. When I went to my first NBA League meetings in 1988, I was sitting poolside with, with uh, Hubie Brown, and I asked him, how do you get contracts? How do you get you know, other stuff learning about it? And he sort of gave me a look, and he said, it's all about the game. 
just learn the game. So I've, I've tried to carry that through in the last 29 years. It's been difficult. The times have changed. But I've always said to myself, at the end of the day, am I covering the game? Am I covering the sport? Am I covering the, the small ball going through the big circle the best I could? I try to keep that on track. But as you guys know, it has changed so much covering anything, sports or otherwise. That's great stuff. Poolside Hubie Brown. That's the first time that expression has ever yeah. been said on this podcast. Well, so well, was... i got to tell you, and here's, here's the worst part. We were at the La Quinta Resort um, in Palm Springs, and Hubie basically said, I want to get a dip, so I sat my legs dangling in the water there at the pool at La Quinta. We sat talking, because you know Hubie. You ask one <laughs> question, you're in for a couple of hours. So, I mean, I hate to say it, and this was, this was you know, 29 years ago. Literally, Hubie was shriveling in front of my eyes as he stayed in that pool for like three hours <laughs> as I asked all my questions. So, you know, it, it's almost like a bad George Costanza act at the end. But uh, it, it was a different-looking Hubie when he came out than when he went in. <laughs> uh, I got to ask, was Hubie wearing a shirt? Hubie was not wearing a shirt. No. And, and, and back then, remember, this is before he even came back to coach the Grizzlies. So that's one thing about Hubie. Proud man then, proud man now. Love seeing him every time I cross paths with him. Still, still the same thing. Still, you ask one question, you can sit back and have a couple of drinks, and then maybe you'll ask another question. The passion has never waned with him. He was one of the guys who really helped me get started in this game, him and Dr. Jack Ramsey. Yeah, one of the best for sure. Uh, as you touched on that first heat season in 88, they went 15 and 67, struggled as almost any expansion team uh, in any sport has. Like, did you feel that there was excitement around the city right away? Like, what, what was it like covering the heat? Like, were they, were they front page news? Was that just uh, something that you snuck onto the side? Like, how long did it take for them to really kind of be embraced by the city, you know, on the level of maybe the Dolphins? You know what? They weren't anything close to the Dolphins, really, until Shaq and LeBron arrived. But they were that nice secondary story that, hey, football season is over and sports aren't over. Well, what do you know about that? So I think, I think the Heat, because of the success they had management-wise, because of the steady growth they had, I think it planted the seed for the other sports. So they were receptive here, but a little bit skeptical that another sport was getting in their way. It's an entirely different fan base. With football, it is the tailgate crew. It is once a week. It is let's get liquored up and watch some football, and we'll figure out how to get home. Basketball became the first see-and-be-seen sport in this town, where it almost became a social evening. Remember, at that time, South Beach wasn't South Beach. South Beach was mostly retirement homes. It was an elderly population. This wasn't necessarily the hip and resort kind of city. And people were looking down here for a place where they could put on sort of, quote-unquote, their Sunday best, go out and be seen and make an evening of it. I would say until the Shaq years and maybe the LeBron years, I'm not so sure how many people at the basketball games actually knew there was a basketball game. It was more of a social event at the start than it was a basketball event. I'm glad you bring that up. So uh, a few weeks ago, we talked to Chris Fedor of Cleveland.com about how mm-hmm. his job changed when LeBron returned to Cleveland. But for you, how much did your life as a reporter change the day LeBron announced he was coming to South Beach in Miami? You know, I don't think it changed that much for one reason. I had advanced practice about, you know, uh, five years early when Shaquille O'Neal arrived. And, and honestly, Shaquille O'Neal's arrival was bigger because it was the first time that someone was a well-established, championship-winning megastar to arrive. So I pretty much looked back on my notes and said, okay, how did I change things when Shaq was here? When you're no longer covering a sport and a team, but you're covering a personality. And I was able to take a lot of the, those notes. So I, I think it made it 
easier for me because as big as a personality as LeBron James was and is today, there was nothing like what Shaquille O'Neal was back in the day. I'm not sure there was any personality because of his size and his personality who really sort of embraced what it was like to change a culture as Shaquille O'Neal. So unlike Chris, I mean, I mean, this, this was not like, okay, I had Bingo Smith and now I have LeBron James. This was, I had Shaquille O'Neal and now I'm getting another superstar level player. And honestly, by the time LeBron James arrived, Dwayne Wade was pretty much on that level, and Dwayne Wade was already a championship-winning player. So I think it made the adjustment a lot easier. I will tell you this. It was a lot easier to adjust to LeBron coming in than it was to LeBron going out. Yeah, that was kind of leading into our next question. I wanted to ask like you personally, um, you know, you're a veteran reporter. I, I think by this point, you're probably, you know, you're probably not too engrossed in the, the day-to-day events of the team as far as being a fan, you know, and having those type of feelings. But for you, you know, as a reporter, someone who's around the team, was it disappointing to see LeBron leave in 2014 just to see, you kind of knew the Heat were going to take a little bit of a step back in terms of national relevance after being, you know, the story in the NBA for four straight years. I think more than anything, it was stunning because, yes, LeBron James had left a non-championship team to go elsewhere. So as as surprised as we were about, quote-unquote, the decision, you could almost accept he had to go somewhere and win. Yet this was a guy who made a decision three weeks after his fourth straight NBA Finals. And, yes, the Spurs dominated the Heat. There were questions going forward about Dwayne Wade's health and an older roster, but you just didn't see it coming. You just No one had left a team that went to four straight NBA Finals. I mean, it just didn't happen even when free agency began. It hadn't happened to that moment. So it, it was a stunned shock. I would say more stunned and more shocked than Cleveland endured when LeBron left the first time because this wasn't a player looking to find his destiny. This is a player who had already found his championship destiny. I think the first few months, everyone here was sort of hung over a little bit and getting over it. What made it easier for me is I could call back and go back to those other years. Okay, they rebuilt after the beginning. They rebuilt after Shaq. They can rebuild after this. At least the Heat gave a blueprint. Cleveland didn't have that. The Heat did have that. That when Shaq left, they still found a way. When LeBron left, they'll still find a way. So I think it was a little easier to go through then than probably what Cleveland went through when they lost him the first time. Was it nice on some level to go back to covering, you know, a quote-unquote normal NBA franchise again and not have the craziness that LeBron brings? I wish it was normal. I wouldn't mind being the Hawks or a team stuck at 500 <laughs> and make that gradual, but everything here, I don't know if it's because of Pat Bradley's personality. I don't know if it's because of South Florida's sort of manic, depressive, all-or-nothing kind of ways from the culture of, of nightlife to deep, day-long slumber but it went from everything to nothing. I mean, that's the difference. I mean, 2008, the Miami Heat won 15 games. Two years later, they were having a parade celebration for LeBron James. 2014, the Heat were coming off their fourth straight NBA Finals appearance. This season, the Heat's headed to a top lottery seed. It's been so all or nothing, I just wouldn't mind regular. I wouldn't mind, okay, let's struggle for the playoffs, get a first-round series, and work your way up. It just hasn't been that way. So I don't think I've adjusted yet because there's been no sense of normalcy. It's been so all or nothing around here. So now that we're a couple of removes, a couple of years removed from that decision, do you think that LeBron made the best possible decision for himself? Do I think LeBron made the best possible decision for himself? 
Well, I guess it depends on what you want LeBron's legacy to be. If you want LeBron James, whatever team he's on, automatically goes to the NBA Finals and competes, then yeah, he did, because we saw Dwayne Wade get a little bit older last season. We're seeing it now even a bit in Chicago, even with some of his numbers. We saw the Heat didn't win three lotteries and were able to load up on the type of first-round picks that Cleveland got, even if the Bennett pick didn't work out so well. But, but when you're looking at the, the legacy of stay in one city and make it work in one place kind of players, like the great retirement ceremony we had for Tim Duncan, I, I think his legacy will be more of a modern type of player where people just accept free agency. I mean, you even look right now, and no matter what's going to happen with Tom Brady, the fact that he was a New England Patriot for all those Super Bowl and playoff trips, I think that, that puts a player at a different level. I don't want to be the old guy who goes back to Larry Bird never left and Magic Johnson never left. <laughs> Those were different times, but, but legacy-wise, LeBron James' championship hopped. LeBron James didn't do what our classic NBA players had done in previous years of, I will stick this out, I will make it better on one team. So do I think it benefited LeBron? Yes. If playoffs and championships and finals were his ultimate goal, it did. If establishing a legacy of a player who could lift on his own, then no, I don't think it did. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting way to put it. I mean, obviously, there was the backlash when he left Cleveland, um, you know, after after playing the first half of his career, essentially there. But I think at on some level, maybe people didn't forgive the way he left. But I think most, you know, smart basketball fans understood, you know, he had given them opportunity after opportunity to bring in guys and over and over it was Drew Gooden, Larry Hughes, you know, old Shaquille O'Neal. Um, but with Miami, that it was the opposite, you know, I mean, they, they were really enabling him to play with two superstars to bring in, you know, his Mike Miller type of guys, his James Jones type of guys, keep them around. And um, I do, I do think I agree with you that when we look back, there is a little bit of I don't know if nostalgia is the right word to, to add to a great player's legacy when, when they play their entire career or the overwhelming majority of their career uh, in one city. So the Heat won titles in, in 06, and then, of course, they, they beat the Thunder in 2012 and the Spurs in 2013. How would you compare and contrast that title team from 2006 uh, with the back-to-back champions uh, in 2012 and 2013? I mean, the 2012 and 2013 teams were built for, to make that happen. We saw what happened in 2011 against the Mavericks when they got a little too full of themselves. Just like the Cavaliers' first big three team with, with Love and Kyrie, they had to go through Golden State like the Heat had to go through with what they dealt with with Dallas. The 2006 team came out of nowhere. That was not a championship team. That was not built for that moment. That team just sort of happened. That team was a, I don't mean this in a negative way, but almost a a bunch of rejects. Jason Williams couldn't win with the Grizzlies and Antoine Walker and tippy-toe threes and bad shots with the Celtics and, and James Posey traveling from team to team. That championship you didn't know was going to happen until the playoffs. And you didn't even know it was going to happen during the playoffs when they were down to Dallas and Dwayne stepped up. So that, that didn't have that great sort of rhythmic build to a championship. Last year, Cavaliers rhythmically built to a championship. The year before, the, the Warriors did it also. You saw the first round, the second round, the steps, the, the stumbles, but they were going to something. In 2006, the Heat championship just sort of happened. And, and you had a feeling it would be like it was with Dallas when they won their championship in 2011. 
there's every now in the NBA we have these one-off championships. We saw it with the with the Washington Bullets back in the day in the Seattle SuperSonics, and that's how it used to be. Is a team would come out of nowhere, Bill Walton's Trailblazers, and it would just happen. It would be this mystical ride, almost never to be repeated. So it's so much different than what we've had now with the Spurs and with the Warriors and with the Cavs getting back for a couple of years. That 2006 Heat championship team not only came out of nowhere, but like I said, two years later, won 15 games. So to me, that was much more of a one-off than what they created to endure for four straight years with the big three here. Yeah, I, I mean, you could argue now, looking back at this roster, and, and obviously it's easy as, as revisionists, but I don't think in today's NBA, NBA you could win a title with... Jason Williams as your third leading scorer or you know Antoine Walker as arguably your third best player. I mean Wade was was otherworldly in those in those playoffs. Shaq, you know, age 33 by the end of that season wasn't quite peak Shaq. Um but still I it's, it's I do agree with you I think that um you know we might we, the one-off champion like that only comes around every so often I guess and and, and uh, you and you saw it change right after with the Celtics then the right. Celtics went ahead and, and and got Ray Allen and got Kevin Garnett and added to Pierce and it's been that way ever since and whether the the Spurs say or admit or acknowledge doing that obviously Kawhi Leonard changed that equation but they've become a big three mm-hmm. team and they've added whether it was LaMarcus Aldridge or now Pau Gasol and they've realized you've got to have multiple stars and that it can't just be an ensemble of seven or eight guys. So I, I, that 2006 Heat Championship is almost where it ended. The Lakers were moving toward that anyway. They had Shaq, they had Kobe, they had other pieces, but they were building to, to multiple guys and moving toward Gasol when Shaq left. So I think that 2006 championship was the end of the non-Big 3 era. And, and right now, I mean, even when we look at this year's races and we try to find the other teams and you try to convince yourself – okay, maybe the Spurs, and then you look and you can say, well, you can make a big three argument possibly with DeAndre Jordan and Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, but there's no teams you can say who really only have two stars that you would consider a championship contender. So I think 2008, it was sort of like baseball pre-steroids or post-steroids or the dead ball era or the live ball era. I think 2006 ended the pre-big three era, and then you realize teams had to load up for the moments. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think if you, you know, if you projected that that 0506 roster to today's NBA, I don't think that team holds a candle to Cleveland, to to the Clippers, uh and certainly not a team like the Warriors. You'd be but- the Hawks. You'd right, be the Hawks. Exactly. You'd be like with the Hawks. Remember two years ago, the Hawks, when they had the four All-Stars, and they had Hartford and Millsap and Corver and Teague, and, and they were going to be the team, and then they just went away. That's what you have. And you have sort of that supernova. Well, maybe you hold it together for a regular season, possibly for a playoff run, but nothing enduring. That's what the 2006 Heat were, is they were those Atlanta Hawks that thought they were going to be something and right now have no idea what they're going to be going forward. So that 06 team uh, had some serious personalities. Obviously, you had young Dwayne Wade. You had Shaq, who you know at that time was you know arguably the biggest personality in the NBA. But then you had you know Gary Payton, James Posey, Antoine Walker, Jason Williams, uh, guys who have all kind of carved out their own mini legends uh, in the minds of a lot of fans, and uh, especially you know younger-ish fans like DJ and myself who were who were raised watching Jason Williams' Kings highlights. Uh, I mean, what was it like being around that team? 
I, you know what? It was awkward because I don't think that team liked that team. I, I think that <laughs> team, until they won the championship, all were a bunch of guys who felt they were shortchanged throughout their whole career. I mean, remember, Jay Will had a bunch of incidents with the media in Memphis before he got out of there, and Antoine Walker had already been dealt, and people were questioning what he could be or wouldn't be. So everyone had their own issues. So that's why it was such a late coming together championship. There was never a feel of a special team in there. There was a feel of let's keep these guys from killing each other. It was more more Oakland Raiders-esque than it was NBA San Antonio Spurs family. These were the rejects. These were the couldn't be. This was Shaq trying to prove to Kobe desperately that he would get a championship before Kobe would get another championship, which Shaq did. And honestly, to me, that ended Shaq's career. He was never the same, whether it was in Phoenix or in Cleveland or in Boston. He had one goal in his mind when he came to the Heat, to win a championship before Kobe Bryant and do whatever it took and put it all into that season or seasons, and he got it accomplished. So... It, it, it was almost kind of a circus year. I mean, Pat Riley, the year after, would, would punish Posey and, and, and Walker and not let them in training camp until they got back in shape. And then there were fines for guys being out of shape along the way. And there were guys showing up to practice, not necessarily in Pat Riley shape. Remember, the year they won the championship, Stan Van Gundy started coaching the team. And Shaq started meeting rumblings that, that Stan was the master of panic and couldn't coach a team to a championship. So even then in December, when you had that coaching change, you could tell this was a team that had all kinds of issues. And, and if it was going to come together, would take months, which it eventually did. Yeah, that team, I believe, if I remember correctly, was 24-17 and 17 at the halfway point. So obviously it wasn't all peachy. Uh, let's switch gears here and talk about current Heat players under contract. And notice I said under contract and not on the court because I want to start this off by talking about Chris Bosh. Basically, this sure. whole situation with him has faded from the national spotlight. Uh, what's the current status of Bosch's relationship with the organization? We know he has a three, three years left on this contract. Do you think that there's still hope that he'll play for the Heat again during the duration of his current contract? No. The reason it's gotten quiet is this reason. The Heat cannot act on removing his salary from the salary cap until February 9th, the one-year anniversary of the last game he played. So we're all on hold till then. But then if Chris comes back and finds a way to play 25 games, regular season or playoffs, his money reverts to the cap. So it makes no sense for the Heat if they want to spend in the offseason to do anything with Chris at least till March 1st. And you might ask, why March 1st? Well, if you sign with another team after March 1st, you're not playoff eligible and therefore won't find a way to play those 25 games. Number one, I don't believe Chris will play this, this season anyway. I think after failing his preseason physical, he has more concerns about the blood clots that have to be addressed going forward. So we haven't heard about Chris because this is going to be more a matter of machinations and handling it administratively than anything else. At some point, you will read the Heat are waving Chris Bosch. And they are waving Chris Bosch to begin that process of a league doctor saying, yes, we do not believe he can healthily return to the NBA under his contract. You can receive his cap money back. Then that's when the transformation starts for the Heat with about $40 million in cap space going into the offseason. So what is the future uh, for the Heat organization? I think more so than, than just about any team in the last decade or so, they, they've rebuilt through free agency obviously bringing in LeBron and Bosch uh greatly accelerated that process uh but is this the time now as as Wade moves on and as Bosch presumably moves on did, that they maybe do try to rebuild through the draft except Pat Riley 72 years old and right. I or will be at the end of the season and I still think wants one more hurrah before he leaves and and if any team was positioned to make a quick jump 
As you guys know, and I'm sure you've spoken about it, this year's lottery will be one of the best in years. I don't know if it'll be LeBron, Carmelo, Wade, Bosch level, but it's supposed to be pretty good, especially with wing players. So if you have a lottery pick, which the Heat has its own pick this season, and you have cap space, which the Heat will have $40 million, you can make an argument. You can make an argument. I don't think you can win the argument. That if you keep Goran Dragic, Hassan Whiteside, and Justice Winslow, and add, let's say just for argument's sake, Lonzo Ball and uh, Blake Griffin or, or Gordon Hayward, you can at least afford them if you're not necessarily going to get them, that you could turn this around quickly. Now, is that the most prudent approach, or do you step back more like the Sixers, who are proving very much that the quote-unquote process does work? That's just not the Heat's way. I mean, what the Sixers have done, at the end of the day, Sam Hakey has a chance even being out of a job to be, you know, executive of the year for how he positioned them. But he positioned them on a five-year plan. I don't believe there are five-year plans here. There wasn't a five-year plan after they won the championship in 2006 and then went to the bottom in 2008. There wasn't a five-year plan when LeBron James left in 2010. So I think what they're going to try to do is maximize that lottery pick, maximize that salary cap space, and try to reset this thing instantly next year with this belief that in the Eastern Conference, as you look at it today, getting to the number four seed and home court in the first round of the playoffs isn't as distant even from the bottom of the current standings. No, not at all. And I think you know, adding a guy like Lonzo Ball, Jason Tatum, Josh Jackson, you know, whoever you want to go with that uh, is huge. But uh, could you see the possibility of them trying to do essentially what Cleveland did when LeBron returned, and you know, leveraging that pick to acquire another superstar, you know, rather than well, rather than or I guess addition to uh, signing another free agent. You know, I'm not sure. It's interesting how we spoke about big threes. I'm not sure you can do that anymore with the new collective bargaining agreement that goes into place starting in July. And they've done everything to make the guys want to stay in place. It used to be you would get about 20, 24, 24 million less if, if you went to another team. Now the difference with these franchise free agents they're adding could be up to $80 million. So I think the Heat are realizing the reason they got restarted in the first place here was Dwayne Wade when he was drafted. So I think that lottery pick will be coveted. Pat Riley's already been out at UCLA seeing Lonzo Ball. He's seen North Carolina State Smith already. He's been doing his scouting. I think they realize that the way the cap works, the way the new CBA works, you have to have some good, young, rookie-scale contracts like they have with Justice Winslow, like they have with Josh Richardson, like they'll have with the lottery pick, or else you can't balance it out going forward. I'm not so sure that Cleveland could have done in this economy with Kevin Love what they did before, where Kevin Love would be willing to take so much less in a situation like that, even where Kyrie Irving might have you know, not re-upped or, or, or wound up with more of a franchise contract where you couldn't afford more than two players. I think that's what Adam Silver is trying to do, is to prevent what the Heat did in 2010 from happening again. Yeah, that's certainly a good point. You started to mention some of the guys further towards the end of the bench. Um, and you might have already answered this question in theorizing a starting five that had Winslow, Dragic, and Whiteside, but how many players on the current roster do you believe the organization sees as long-term fits in whatever plan they might have? Well, I, I think that's the thing. When you're going to blow it up or restart all over again, I think what you have to do is line up who are your franchise players and then build around them. So right now you would say they try to build around Whiteside and Dragic, and that didn't work because I don't think there's an alpha male in that mix. So you have to see who you're going to get. So if you get one of the point guards, if you get Fultz or Smith or Ball, 
then maybe Goran Dragic is moved for someone else in another position. But maybe you get a Josh Jackson, and then maybe Justice Winslow becomes free. So I think it's more a matter of who is the free agent and, or, or the cap space player, because it could be in a trade, and who is the lottery pick. I think those players, in many ways, will sort of be the fulcrum around everything else and how it works. First, you have to see what you're going to get. So when people ask me, is there any player on this Heat roster you think is untouchable? My answer is absolutely not. And who knows if you can get, I'm just, again, I'm just spitballing here, a C.J. McCollum or a Clay Thompson or maybe a Jimmy Butler for Hassan Whiteside. Well, it depends what your new team is going to look like. I think you consider that. So I see scenarios where you can trade Whiteside, you can trade Drogic, you can trade Winslow, you can trade anyone until you spend your $40 million in cap cash. Until you use that lottery pick, you won't really know what your team is going to be built around going forward. Awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad you threw out C.J. McCollum. I would love a C.J. McCollum for a wide side trade. I think it, think it might help both teams um, in, in both areas there. But, you know, a lot of this talk was, well, why doesn't Riley trade wide side for assets or Dragic for, for assets? And then they can tank and get a higher draft pick. If you look at the sure. standings right now, I mean, they have the second worst record in the league. Uh, can Miami actually still tank while retaining Dragic and wide side for the rest of the season? Well, they're doing an awfully good job right now. So, I mean, if you look at the record, it, 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 it's, it's almost perfect. And here's the thing about the Dragic trade, and people are right, that it would be easier to lose without going Dragic. Until you know, you don't know. And what I mean by that is, let's say the Heat finishes with the fourth worst record in the league. Let's, let's say Philadelphia comes down from what they're doing now. Brooklyn obviously is Brooklyn. Phoenix certainly is not very good. The Lakers have reason to tank to protect their top three pick. Well, all of a sudden, if you have the number four pick and you fall, let's say, to number six or even five in the lottery, you might not get one of those elite point guards. And Goran Dragic going forward at his $17 million price point, which sounds silly, which is actually about an average salary for a sort of star point guard or even average point starting point guard right now. So I think you hold off on Goran for that reason. There's been talk here about why Orlando clearly is looking for an upgraded point guard. We know that it hasn't worked out with Alfred Payton right now. When you're starting and playing DJ Augustine, you're sort of saying that you need help. But you don't know. You trade Goran right now for the Magic's lottery pick. Well, the Magic have no incentive to improve their lottery position. All of a sudden, in the East, they make a run, they get the number 8 playoff seed, and you've traded him for the number 15 draft choice. That's why I think trades like that are more likely later rather than sooner for the Heat. So putting aside Bosch, putting aside Drogic, and putting aside Whiteside, who is the next best player on this team? I feel like by reputation, it's probably Justice Winslow, but the numbers haven't exactly borne that out quite yet. Obviously, he's injured now, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I think Justice Winslow is for this reason, and I've gotten a lot of this from my readers, and the mistake about not drafting Devin Booker and the numbers that Devin has put up in his tenure in Phoenix. When the Heat drafted Justice Winslow, they had Chris Bosh and they had Dwayne Wade. Well, what do you want with two players like that? You want someone who can facilitate, someone who can defend, someone who could rebound, someone who could be the perfect complementary player. What's happened to the Heat since is Justice has gotten exposed because they need him to score, and they need him to make shots, and they need him to make things that he wasn't even when Duke won their championship when he was there. But if you get back to those kind of players, if you get a dynamic scorer in the draft, 
if you get a dynamic score in free agency, you're going to need complementary pieces again. And what Justice Winslow even showed last season when the Heat stood within one game of the Eastern Conference Finals, when he finished that series, Game 7, against Toronto, he was the Heat's starting center. That versatility, I think that fits a winning team. So what we're really saying here is this. How close are the Heat to, again, being a winning team? If they're not close, then you move a Winslow, and he's not, not as important to you. If you think you are going to make the turnaround, he really is a glue player, and there's a reason that Danny Ainge tried to trade up to the point of offering six draft picks for Justice Winslow with the number 10 spot in that draft, and a reason why the Heat, who knew that Devin Booker could be a flat-out scorer, moved in this direction instead. Yeah, great points all around. Uh, somebody I've, I've been excited to ask you about is Tyler Johnson. He seems to be locked into a bench role, but he's certainly been deserving at least of, of a spot start, especially during this injury-riddled season. He still has zero starts on the season. Do you think that he ever starts a game uh, moving forward this year? You know, it's interesting. Before the talent was spread so much around the league, before there were so many teams around the league, sixth man was actually a real position. Before we started conjuring up awards and just finding desperately someone to give it to, I think the Heat are trying to develop that again. I think, I don't want to say go back as far as Vinnie Johnson or even maybe a Jamal Crawford right now. They see the energizer, because that's what he is. He's, he's sort of an undersized shooting guard who lacks po- true point guard skills as a playmaker, so with a sixth man, you can spot him in any role. You can play him in a three-guard offense if you don't start that way. So I think the Heat are saying is this, hey, we've got this $50 million contract because of the offer sheet the Nets offered. He's going to become untradeable after next season when against the Heat salary cap, he goes up to 18 and $19 million a year. How can we maximize what this player can be? And I think the Heat are sort of reinventing in their own minds the sixth-man role, which is why he and James Johnson are sort of sparking the second unit. They're not saying he's not one of their five best players. Believe me, if you've seen some of the starting lineups the Heat are throwing out there, he's one of their five best players. But they're saying, hey, if we're going to get a star wing, maybe a Josh Jackson, maybe a Hayward, if we're going to get someone else or even Justice Winslow to come along and be our shooting guard or small forward, this might be the best role for him going forward. And, and, and as ridiculous as it sounded at the start, when we all heard $50 million over four years for Tyler Johnson, keep this in mind. By the end of his, by the end of his contract, the NBA salary cap is going to be $120 million. We'll be talking, and I know it sounds ridiculous, average money for him. I don't want to say a value contract, but not the ridiculous contract that maybe thought it would be. People thought it would be at first. All right. So regardless of what happens, you know, over these final few years of his career, Dwayne Wade you know, obviously going to be remembered as one of, if not the most iconic uh, South Florida athletes of his time. At some point, do you expect him to reconcile with the organization and with Pat Riley? Yeah, I do. I mean, absolutely. Dwayne Wade will be the next Miami Heat player to have his number retired without question. Dwayne Wade most likely will be the first Heat player to have a statue in front of American Airlines Arena. But I don't believe Dwayne Wade will ever come back here and play again for this reason. He wanted the money. He wanted the security of the multiple years of $20 million plus. He's not opting out of that second year of a Chicago contract. He knows it'll be tough to get that even in this economy. Miami certainly is in no position this offseason to get all the Bosch money 
money back and immediately reinvest it in Dwayne Wade. It'll be one of those, like Paul Pierce says, when Paul's going to go back to Boston and sign the one-day contract. That, that's what it'll be. And you certainly can make an argument. If anyone's watched the Bulls this season and their up-and-down season and Dwayne's sitting out games these days and second nights of back-to-backs, that if the Heat in any way saw this coming, it was not the worst move. And as people have speculated, it might have been, as difficult as it was, an outcome that the Heat thought would be better off for all parties anyway. I would certainly personally agree with that. Um, I mean, do fans in Miami, did they blame Wade for leaving, or was the finger more pointed at, you know, Pat Riley as he's painted this kind of stubborn figure? Oh, right now it's pointed at Pat for this reason. There are so many games, guys, that if the Heat had Dwayne Wade, they would have won. They have been awful in clutch games. They don't have that one player who's willing to take the ball and make the right play and get fouled or put up the shot. I would say the Heat would even, i go as far as say, be close to playoff contention if Dwayne Wade were here. So a lot of people who've already paid for their season tickets and bought their tickets in advance, they're not happy not to have that. No fan takes the long view where they're paying cash money in the short term. So this is all falling on Pat Riley. No one here is blaming Dwayne. Everyone understands. And, and that's part of management. That's part of the tough love you have to deal with. Just like all those years people hated Jerry Krause in Chicago or other GM. You have to make tough decisions sometimes based on the future of your franchise. That's what Pat Riley ultimately did. He said, we can give you a boatload of money for one year. We can give you money spread out over three years. We can give you short money for two years and make it up in the back end once we get wholly capped after we spend our Chris Bosch money and Tyler Johnson's big number comes on and you still have your bird rights. And Dwayne Wade said, I don't want to take that chance because at 36 and 37, there's no guarantee I'll still be ambulatory. That's why they had a part. All right, last question here before we move into our rapid fire round. And uh, I, I want to tell you, yeah, it's been nothing. It's been not rapid whatsoever, but we'll still make it we through. We need to change the name. We need to round, change the name. Honestly. We do. Uh, but anyways, last question here. Uh, I want to talk about Coach Eric Spolstra. 22 sure. years within the Heat organization. It seems like he signed an extension this offseason. Um, but I'm he curious. Did. Yeah, okay, he did. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious to know how long of a leash does he have? Let's say that they do rebuild through free agency. Maybe they do add a long ball maybe that team with a pretty good starting five and three years struggles how long of a lease do you think Spolster has I would put it this way the Miami Heat will never ever 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 fire Eric Spolstra now that doesn't mean they might not relocate him when Pat Riley moves out moves into retirement Eric already has personnel say anyway he's involved in the personnel side he knows the cap well enough to work with the GM Andy Ellisberg going forward so if it ever sours I think Eric will sort of be relocated, quote-unquote, but would never be fired or dismissed. And he has built up so much equity with what he put through going through this rebuild and dealing with LeBron and that 9-8 and eight start in 2010 when everyone thought it would be over. You talk to coaches around the league. You talk to people. I sit with scouts. Matter of fact, I had a West Coast trip recently, sat next to a bunch of scouts, and almost every night the scouts would tell me the same thing. That team plays hard. That team is well-coached. That team is well-schooled. That was really good action they just ran on offense. I really like this stuff they're doing. All the coach speak, all the stuff you want to hear about coaches, there's no reason. There's no reason where you can say to me, Eric Spolster, except for the standings, should not be the coach of the Miami Heat. Are his players playing hard? I can, I can vouch for that. These guys are playing hard. They're just not good enough. Is this team playing well, good strategy basketball on both ends? I believe they are based on their skill set. 
is this team you know, giving, giving a quality effort and coming to the gym to work on off days? I've been at their practices. These guys work long. They work hard. And individually, if you look at some of the numbers of Heat players, I know we didn't get to mention them all, but even someone like James Johnson, who's having a terrific year, making himself a ton of money, or someone like uh, unnoticed, unheralded like Willie Reed and what he's done, they're making players better. It would seem to me that would, that would fill all the boxes you want, except are you winning enough? But you guys know well enough. Sometimes you just don't win. Is Brett Brown a bad coach before and a good coach now? No, he's the same coach. He has a beat. He has a little more talent. Is Eric Spolstra any less of a coach right now? No, but he doesn't have LeBron James, which is why he was a better coach when he had him. So this whole thing about Eric Spolstra being in jeopardy, the Heat will never fire him at worst. They might give him relief, and they might say, wow, this rebuild is going to take a while. You just got married this offseason. I know you want to start a family. How about you move in? You become president. Pat becomes president emeritus, and we move on. I could see that happening at some point down the road. Yeah, it's kind of strange this season that you look up and down the standings, you know, Miami or otherwise, and there just aren't that many coaches that you could really say are genuinely on the hot seat. You know, the the the, t- the guys like Eric Spolstra, you know, Brett Brown is a good comparison. Um, you know, the expectations are different for them this season, maybe than than they. Or would even look at like, look at the only co- look at the only coach in the East with a record worse than than Eric at this you know taping right, right. now, and someone like Kenny Atkinson. Well, Mike, exactly. have you First seen what the Nets are throwing out on the court? Yep. I mean, you know, he, he has no chance. But all of a sudden, Brooke Lopez is shooting three-pointers. And all of a sudden, some of the kids who no one thought would be players are developing a little. That's all you want to see. Earl Watson, the same thing of what he's doing in, 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 in Phoenix right now. And, and has Mike D'Antoni become – did he go back to coaching university after his struggle <laughs> with the Lakers and the Knicks? Or did he find James Harden and the perfect team suited to its coaching style? Coaches are all about fits. And if you're saying right now the Miami Heat need a developmental coach – I don't see who else you would want but Eric Spolstra. Right, and even if you look in the West, you know the Timberwolves aren't going to fire Tibbs. They've been a disappointment, but they're not canning him after half and the so season. It's going to take a time for him to instill right. what he wants mm-hmm. in that team and teach him that defense yeah. matters and everyone's going, oh, they're a terrible defensive team that's not working with Tibbs. It takes time. That's what the Heat have done. When you mention Eric Spolster's tenure and the time that they've given him, when you look around the league, even Dallas, even, even Rick Carlisle is yeah. a perfect example. Rick Harlow is a great coach. Everyone knows that. I mean, he's president of the Coach Association, but you look at what Dallas had, missing Nowitzki to half the season to this point, of course you're going to get these results. So the, the Miami Heat, when you're asking me, Ira, what ails the Miami Heat? What are the flashpoints you have to address? I wouldn't even have coaching on my list. The Rotowire NBA podcast is sponsored by Draft. We already know you love fantasy, so we know you'll love playing fantasy on Draft. Draft is a simple daily fantasy app where you can do snake drafts just like the ones you do at the beginning of your season-long league. On Draft, it's draft day every day. You can do drafts whenever you want. They last for just one day, and they take only minutes to complete. On Draft, you can play for free, or better yet, you can play for money. Get this, your chances of winning money on Draft are almost three times better than your chances of winning on FanDuel or winning on DraftKings. If you're playing fantasy for money and you're not spending hours a day doing it, you absolutely should be playing on Draft. DJ and I just did a draft the other night. We're planning on doing one later this week. It's been a lot of fun. It's really engaging, and it's really easy and really quick. Join us. Download Draft now. Just search Draft, D-R-A-F-T, in the App Store. It'll come up first, right at the top of the list. Be sure to enter our promo code, RotoWire when you download. You'll get a 100% bonus up to $600 
when you make that deposit. Again, just search Draft, D-R-A-F-T, in the App Store, and be sure to enter our promo code, ROTOWIRE. That's R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E. All right, well, let's move into rapid fire. Uh, This is a question that we've asked all of our guests thus far. Most overrated team in the NBA as we're right about in the halfway point of the season. Most overrated team in the NBA. I still don't trust the Clippers because until they get to the Western Conference Finals, the pressure is going to be them to the degree. Prove it before we actually say, wow, they've moved into the elite in the West. Similar question here. Most underrated team in the NBA so far. Most underrated team in the NBA so far as they stall for time to think this out. I still like the Utah Jazz and what they are, but I wonder with the Hayward free agency whether they can sustain. But they got it with Rodney Hood and some of the players we don't talk about a lot because they're in Utah. They're the team that I think is most likely to pull a first-round surprise as a road team in the Western Conference final playoffs. That's been a popular answer so yeah. far. I mean, if, yeah, if you're the Clippers sitting in the four seed right now and you have to play yeah. Utah, I don't think you're super thrilled about that. Or Hugh. Houston, if they're in the three spot and play, you know, play Utah as a number five or something like that, there's a lot of interesting ways that the Jazz can go. You know, to me, it all comes back down to when your players in a pending free agent like Gordon Hayward, where's his head at? And I think Gordon Hayward has shown he's level-headed enough. He's not going to get ahead of himself. Favorite NBA player growing up? Favorite NBA player? Oh, Walt Clyde Frazier. You grew up in New York, and you're styling, and you got your Nerf ball hoop. Everyone was Clyde in the playground. Everyone was Clyde on their Nerf set. You had to be Clyde Frazier, or you weren't cool. Best Heat uniforms of all time. Best, you know what? They, they actually had white ones that they called their white tie this year that I like. But honestly, I know some people think it's overstated. I thought their military tribute uniforms the last two years have been special because they've been tied to stories about individuals who served time with the individual name of soldiers who were injured sewn into patches on the uniform. So you know what? If you're going to try to make money off of uniforms, at least do it for a meaningful reason. I thought those uniforms, the military uniforms, were special. Do you like the Floridians? Uh, uniforms that they bring back every seems like every four or five years i like it because i like the marketing campaign that goes through it because i was a big aba fan growing up so you know i I remember going out to to uniondale and and nassau coliseum and watching or even you know the comac arena and watching the nets back in the days so i kind of like that the nba doesn't forget about its aba lineage because so much of the aba is what makes the nba special now the slam dunk the three-point shot so yeah i do like when they at least offer homage to that yeah, I, I think those are great. Um, so we talked about Dwayne Wade and, and you know the statue in the Jersey retirement that awaits him. Do LeBron James and Chris Bosh get their jerseys retired in Miami? I feel like they already kind of set a precedent with, with Shaq getting his Absolutely. retired earlier this year. I mean, hey, they, they retired Michael Jordan's number, never played here. They retired a, <laughs> a jersey for Dan Marino, and he's a football player. So, yeah, anyone gets there. They, they have a trainer, a former trainer, Ron Cole, terrific job, two decades. He has a banner up there. Sure, come to Miami, get a banner. <laughs> That's getting a little bit out of hand in the well, league. Yeah, the Celtics you, are running out line? of numbers, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at least it's not like the Celtics, though. I mean, yeah, you look yeah. up there at TD Garden, and, and yeah. I, I always feel terrible when the guys come in and they and they just issue them, you know, jersey ninety six just because right. they're out of numbers. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like, people don't realize with Jay Crowder is like, yeah, obviously he chose ninety nine, but part of the reason for that is right. probably his like first seven choices were all taken. And that's what I'm waiting for. The first team when a free agent, hundred million dollar player, makes it a deal breaker about getting a yep. number back. Wow. Do you didn't, pull thirty three down from the rafters? Didn't Aldridge kind of do that with the Spurs with Bruce Bowen? Yeah, but it's Bruce Bowen. Yeah, so we and, can move on from there. But yeah, and I think it was more of a point. gesture of goodwill by Bowen too. Yeah, I don't think I think yeah, Aldridge I mean, would have gone either way. 
you know, I remember basketball, they always try to avoid any digit higher than five because of the awkward referee hand signals. So I think teams would have been a lot smarter to honor the numbers and do what Orlando does with a ring of fame or ring of honor mm-hmm. and keep all the numbers in play because really what they're trying to do is not have any digit higher than five in the first place. That's sneakily one of my favorite NBA topics to talk about, but we'll keep it moving here. Uh, who's your favorite player to talk with? Who's my favorite player? It was Chris Bosh until this incident because he's so thoughtful. And I always enjoy talking to people who I can honestly admit to others he's just smarter than me. And you've seen that from Chris. He taught himself Spanish in less than a year down here with the Hispanic market. He taught himself guitar and played jazz guitar recently uh, with Buddy Guy in Chicago. He, he, just, he's a, he really is the, the guy who should be on the beer commercial is the smartest man because <laughs> what he does and what he brings to a locker room, I wish he was healthy. I miss my conversation with him every time I was done talking to Chris Bosch I felt smarter all right uh, I have to admit and maybe I shouldn't be doing this on a recorded conversation but one of my guilty pleasure shows and probably my you know the go-to guilty pleasure show is CSI Miami has been for a long time what is your favorite tv show or movie that's based in Miami you know what? I, I grew up in the Miami Vice era and just the way I saw it transform the city because that's what South Beach became. And it, it literally provided a color scheme for South Beach. When I first came down here 30 years ago, we used to go to South Beach before a hurricane and see if everyone in the homes there were locked in and it was all boarded up and it was so different. So I, I would probably would go in that direction just because of what Miami Vice did for the culture. And you know what? Sort of the bad boy culture down here a little. And I'm not promoting gun violence or drugs or anything like that, but it made it the interesting place that it still continues to evolve into. Why does Whiteside only average .7 steals per game this season? That's something Nick and I talk about quite often. Hassan Whiteside right now is trying to find who he is and what he is once he got the contract and people are actually paying attention to him and that people are actually you know putting more bodies on him. And I think it's frustrating to him. You know, he's the first player ever who went from the minimum salary, absolute minimum, to absolute maximum. And I think this year transition has been incredibly difficult for him because all of a sudden teams are game planning for him, teams are being more careful of him, teams are accounting for him. I, I, I think the learning curve for him is one of the reasons it's been so difficult for the Heat. You can take someone from 900000 to $24 million, but you can't take his game from that to that. And I think that's what's going on with Hassan. With a bunch of his numbers and a bunch of his lack of success stories this season, Is that, that was almost too much too soon, and we're seeing that. Hassan Whiteside right now is not an all-star. Hassan Whiteside right now is not a max player. Hassan Whiteside right now is not a franchise player. But who is a year after earning the minimum? Did you fill out an all-star ballot? I, I was asked by the league to do it, and I bypassed it for the very reason we just spoke about. Because then the league said to me, well, you, we won't, it won't be like the awards. It'll, it won't be transparency, so you don't have to worry about that. And I said, yeah, what's going to happen when none of the voters in the Easter Conference voted for Hassan as a starter and Hassan asked if I voted for him? You know, <laughs> with the big zero sitting there, it's going to be kind of obvious to everyone. I don't think media should be voting at all. I think yeah. with all-star bonuses, I shouldn't have to decide whether someone gets a half million dollars extra. And you know what's going to happen? I don't mean this against um, people doing podcasts or doing blogs or whatever, but eventually someone can really cash out in that situation. And you know what? For an extra 10000 I'll put you on my ballot. I think it creates an awkward situation. Yeah, you're certainly right about that. Last one here. More quotable player, Michael Beasley or Hassan Whiteside? 
Well, Hassan Whiteside was until the Heat gave him the money, and now you cannot go anywhere talking to Hassan Whiteside without turning your shoulder and seeing a PR guy around you. Mike, wow. Michael Beasley was always available, and anyone who could talk about SpongeBob for that long, <laughs> and actually at one point compared each character, Squidward and Nematoid and everyone to a player in the locker room, I'm going to go with Michael Beasley. <laughs> wow, I... I mean, I guess I'm not surprised to hear that whatsoever. I mean, was it fun being around Beasley? I think he, at that oh, point in his career, awesome. he, at that point in it his was, career, it was kind of more like an annoyance. You know, he wasn't living up to his to his billing. You know, as a number two pick, and now that he's kind of back and still doing the same stuff, but the, the expectations are lower. I feel like he's he's viewed in in a more you know fun light. Yeah, I mean, the fact is, you look back at that draft, and Pat Riley said, "Oh, we blew it on Russell Westbrook," as did everyone else right now, or even Kevin Love, or even Brooke Lopez. You know, Michael was just the one and done that you didn't fully know, and that's why when we spoke about the draft, it's coming year. You can see all the Markel Fultz, and you can see all the Lonzo Ball, and you can see all the Smiths you want, but you just don't know who they are in that kind of pressure setting, one and done. That was the case with Michael Beasley. Look, a lot of this stuff was his fault. He was too immature when he came into the NBA. He paid the price. But you're right. Right now is a journeyman scorer for the Bucks. If he helps them win two or three games, and he's already done it at least once against San Antonio – that's all you want from that kind of player. Michael Beasley has fallen or risen, however you want to put it, from his comeback to the level of what he is as an NBA player. I think he's a person with a very good heart. Everyone who knows Michael in the league, whether it's a Kevin Durant or Rodney Magruder, and played AAU ball with him, say he was always a good kid. But as you know, sometimes good people make bad decisions. All right, Ira, we will not keep you any longer. No, you have to get over to the arena, cover Rockets in heat tonight, James Harden in Miami, but this was great. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to join us. And we'd no, love to I, and, and I plan to do one of these every 29 years, so call me back in 29 years <laughs> and we'll do it again. All right, I'll put it on the calendar. That- Make sure to read Ira's work. SunSentinel.com is where you can find that. And follow Ira on Twitter, at Ira Heatbeat. Ira, thanks again, man. Thank you, guys. Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.